welcome back to the third episode of this new podcast series, Voices of the Runner, Stories from Your Everyday Warrior. This series is about collecting stories from a diverse field of runners, giving them a platform to share their own personal experiences, as well as touching on some of the science behind their running lifestyle. In this episode, I have a good friend of mine, Sota Mai Hara. Now, Sota is a 5 and 10K roadrunner who I am trying to convince to get into trail running and ultra marathons. He's a bit of a racing addict and he loves to run time trials. And he's got a pretty fast 5K time of just over 16 minutes. He's very involved in his local running community, taking up the role of vice president of Run Club at Sydney University, where he studies a degree in sports science. In our chat, we go through some of his personal stories and the science about group dynamics, motivation, and psychological behaviours as a runner. Sports psychology is an important field in not just improving performance, but also in keeping us healthy. Now, outside of his running, Sorter also manages his own YouTube channel, which he makes really good content and also has his own photography page. So you can find him at Sorter Maihara or at Sydney Based Photography, and I urge you to check it out. Now, I hope you enjoy my conversation with him. So when I was in Thailand, I lived in my high school on campus and I had a coach to train with for all my sessions in a week. I didn't have to do any of my training alone. I had a few friends who ran. We didn't have the biggest track team, but we had a few people enough to, you know, keep each other motivated. And we were a pretty low mileage group, so we didn't actually run too much. We would have like five runs in a week and then the other days would be filled with cross training and strength because you were uh, doing triathlons right yeah so in my junior year of high school i was doing running and then in my senior year of high school i was doing triathlon and that was all with school or did you have the other group that you joined it's a bit complicated i didn't feel like i had enough sessions in a week so i kind of trained with both and it was quite interesting and you know as a kid I just wanted to get fit so all that all that was in my mind was just training as much as possible so I wasn't really thinking about structuring my training and recovering enough and you had a good story about uh almost meeting Harry Runs with that second group right I actually did meet Harry Runs oh you did yeah how was that yeah how how did that happen yeah so Harry Runs and a lot of the vegan YouTubers that live up in the north um, of Thailand called Chiang Mai usually come down in January, February and March because it's smoky season. Um, basically Indonesia, I believe, burned down a bunch of trees and it gets really hazy and it's hard to train, you know, when the air quality is terrible. So they all come down to the south where there's, you know, well, we're on an island and wind's blowing everywhere all the time. So the air quality is great and they come, they came down they did a little 10 mile race and I got to meet a bunch of YouTubers that I looked up to. So it was really cool. And Harry Rungs was one of them. And he, at the time, only had about 1,200 subscribers. So um, yeah, it's great to see how far he's come. Were you one of the 1,200? Yes, I was. Okay. Well, we should ask for a free shout out from him since we're shouting him out. <laughs> I do have him on Facebook, but I haven't talked to him in a while. So was that during high school? Yeah, so I was about 15 or 16 when I first met Harry Runs. 
And then what did you do? I guess, you know, you're living on campus at high school, you know, you would have had that strong community with you. And then when did you move over to Australia? In 2018, I started my first year of university at the University of Sydney. Um, it was quite a hard change. I really struggled to adapt uh, culturally, you know, financially as well, because it's a lot more expensive living here. Um, and I was really homesick because I had a close bond with a lot of my friends in high school, especially because I was living with a lot of the guys in the same house for multiple years. So it was a bit hard. But now that I'm in third year of university, I've made quite a few good friends here as well. Uh, definitely some lifelong friends who I intend on doing more stuff with in the future, even if I move countries. Yeah, it would have definitely been difficult. Um, I guess socially, that's that's something you didn't really touch on there. But I, what were some of the challenges um, socially as, you know, as a student as well as a runner? I usually don't respond that well to change. And it's hard for me to put myself out there at the start and communicate with others and, you know, become friends with people. So it was really hard. And I thought my only way would be to start off with the run club, which um, I was glad that it existed, um, thanks to Sonia. I just went from there. I made my first few friends in the run club with the president and a few of the other members who I'm still really good friends with and slowly built my community around from there. Was it, was it difficult um, as a runner? You know, you were living in Thailand and I guess you were living, you know, at school with all your friends and all your training buddies, but then coming to Australia and not really having those connections or depth of network. Um, did you f have any troubles being motivated in your running or how did you cope? My training definitely decreased the first few weeks when I came to Sydney because obviously I had to deal with settling into my new house um, and all that other stuff that you have to worry about when you move countries and start university. So my mileage is probably sitting around 30 k's a week even. So I definitely wasn't doing that much running. Do you think that was like a motivation factor? I think it was less to do with motivation and more to do with just being overwhelmed with the amount of stuff I had to do. I remember, you know, having this huge checklist of stuff to do, like stuff I had to buy, uh, getting the bank account sorted, picking up my student card at the university, making sure I'm en enrolled in the right classes and all that stuff. I almost and don't believe you there because I've never seen you organized enough to have a checklist. <laughs> well, uh, I think I believe I was more organized in high school. So I was coming off fresh when I was in peak organized form. <laughs> and how did that um, kind of motivation or um, network of runners change as you went through, you know, now you're in your third year of uni about to graduate. Um, how has that changed over those th three years now? So now that I've been here for three years, I obviously have more friends who run and that probably equates to me running a lot more often because I always have someone to run with no matter what. Like even today, I just ran with your sister, um, did a quick little 17 kilometer run. So having uh, checked out the previous episode of the podcast, my sister did join us to talk about anemia and some of the health issues that she's faced as a runner. So make sure you check it out if you haven't already. Great podcast. Loved it. Yeah. Um, so what were we talking about? We were talking about um, 
kind of the change in uh, your motivation or your network of runners from your first yeah, year so to your third year? Another thing is my motivation comes from, you know, fun and also improving. So I need that good balance between uh, making sure it's social and I'm building on my friendships and at the same time working towards my goals that I have in running. Because I do have big goals, but at the same time, if I don't have fun with it, I can't really stay motivated and keep training at the intensity and volume that I need. Do you think that motivation of fun and kind of that need for improvement um, is affected by what kind of what groups you run with or if you're not running with groups and you're just running solo? Yeah, for sure. If I was running solo or, you know, with people that I don't necessarily like or uh, vibe with, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't be training as much as I am now and my motivation would be low and yeah, I would be going downhill for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting that um, this kind of idea of group dynamics and networks play a really important role in motivation. And I, it's kind of a new topic in terms of running, uh, in terms of science, sports science and running. Um, but you'd see it all over the place in like the workplace um, and social social groups and things like that. Um, the group dynamic really does play a role in kind of healthy relationships. And I think it's the same in running. Um, and I know that you're a huge fan of Kipchoge. Yes. Yes. You, well, you are now. I'm making you a huge fan of Kipchoge. Um, and for those that don't know, Kipchoge is basically the marathon goat. Uh, listening to some podcasts about his groups and his training, it's really interesting to see that his coach handpicks the people that he runs with um, and it comes back to your point you brought up about um, improvement and having friendly competition but not you know overstepping the border for it to become toxic but at the same time having that enjoyment and fun um, and group dy dynamics definitely play a huge role in that and I know you're very involved with the uh, UCID run club at the moment you're currently the new vice president, um, but you also coach a lot of the interval sessions there. So coming back to this idea of group dynamics, um, is this something that you think about when you're running these training sessions? Yeah, so when I do organize these coaching sessions or just any runs in general, uh, because as a vice president, I, I want to do the most I can for the club and organize as many runs as possible. So I try to make sure that people come and no one feels left out and they really enjoy their time as well as, you know, um, getting the chance to improve on their running. But I feel like I do prioritize that everyone feels like they're part of the family that we have created in New Sid Run Club. I want to draw more on maybe some of your personal experiences uh, throughout the last couple of years with New Sid Run Club. Have you seen a change in the group dynamic in the club? And if you have, how has that affected your motivation or your uh, outlook on your training? I've been part of two, you know, arbitrary friend groups. I think you kind of have as well. So in my first year, we had this, you know, original group of friends that I first met, which included a lot of trail and ultra runners, <laughs> coincidentally. Um, I'm still really close friends with a lot of them, but a lot of them have graduated or transferred unis and 
I don't get to see them as often. So now we have this new group full of road runners and track runners, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. Although I do like both of the groups. Um, yeah, I'd say it's good to have a lot of friends that are running similar distances as me in terms of racing. And we have this perfect balance between, you know, competitiveness, but uh, friendliness. And we definitely have a great group dynamic right now. Not that we had a bad one before. It's just, you know, the type of running has definitely changed throughout the years. Have you seen like tangible results in your running as a, as a result of this? Yeah, for sure. So um, when I first came in first year, I all my friends were like ultra trail runners and there weren't many people running 5Ks. And my, my 5K PR at the time was 18.01, I believe. And right now my 5K PR is 16.27. And most of my improvement have has come from the past year where, you know, I met up with a lot of the current guys that I've been training with and they've definitely pushed me as, you know, we've overtaken each other a few times as well. But yeah, I, I feel like I'm pretty happy with it, with how far I've come in the past year and the group dynamic that we've managed to build over the past year. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, I guess for me, being exposed to the second type of group that you were talking about that focuses more on 5Ks and track, um, it's very different from the type of running that I normally do. Um, so for like the first time in four years, I actually care about trying to get faster at 5k. Um, and even now, uh, with one of my big races being canceled, the first thought was, Hey, I should work on my 5k time. And I think that's been very heavily influenced by the people that I'm around and the motivation I get from, you know, looking at all these people that are working on their 5k's and, um, short short distance as i'll call it efforts uh, so i definitely think that it makes a huge difference and i think the amount of the group dynamic that we have there is really good at the moment and it's something that's really lifted everyone in the group and i've seen that with everyone's prs kind of improving all at once we're on a group uh, speak right now yeah so watch out sorta we're all coming for you i <laughs> uh, can't wait so we talked about groups having a huge factor in motivation and you recently, pretty recently went through a pretty rough patch in your life. Yeah. I want to hear, I think we want to hear more about that. By rough patch, are we talking about the crash? Yeah. So you had a crash recently and that really put a spanner in the works for your training. Yeah. So um, to give you some context i was cycling and i got t-boned in a roundabout i definitely didn't break any traffic laws it was the driver at fault but unfortunately there was no witness and i was unconscious and when i woke up uh you know some people who came to help called the ambulance and i went straight to the hospital uh obviously to the emergency department and you know i i don't remember too much um but all I remember is that obviously it was super painful. And at the same time, I feel like I was lucky that I, you know, got out without breaking any bones or having any nerve damage or anything super serious, even though it was serious as in like, I, I had abrasions everywhere. My adductors and uh, medial quad muscles, or let's just say my thigh muscles and my inner thigh muscles uh, were 
pretty heavily bruised visually and also physically. Like I was struggling to walk. I was definitely limping. I was in no um, place to like walk around. And I mean, I was getting carried around via a hospital bed, so I didn't have to walk, but yeah. And the most scary thing was that I had a crack in my skull. I think it was about a four millimeter crack. And at one point, the doctors were scared that, you know, some of the fluid in the brain was going to leak or something, or if there was going to be some internal bleeding. And um, after, after getting, you know, some x-rays and some scans done, I think they thought I was fine for a bit. And then they brought me, uh, they took me out of the emergency room. But then a few hours later, they came back to me and put me back in the emergency room because they thought that I, I was starting to develop some bleeding inside the skull, which was really, really scary. That was the scariest point for me mentally. But then luckily after a few hours again, I was put back outside of the emergency. And the unfortunate thing was that I was only able to stay at the hospital for three days. And yeah, on the third day, I had to leave hospital and I was still not in the position to be doing my own house chores, cooking my own food and, you know, living my daily life, which I was doing before. And therefore, Jing's parents kindly offered me to stay for a week and a half. I don't know who planned it, if it was Jin or the parents or all of them together, but it was very kind of you guys. And I really appreciated it because, yeah, as I said, I was in no position to be taking care of myself. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, at the time, it was quite frightening to hear that, you know, you had this skull fracture. And the reason that they were keeping you in your hospital was, you know, like you said, it wasn't because of any, you know, limbs or anything. Um, because they were just bruised abrasions. It was just that skull fracture and the possibility of having, you know, uh, brain fluid leaking out. Um, so they, I think they, they took you, they did um, multiple x-rays over a period of time to see if there was any swelling or bleeding. Um, and that's why they kept you for a couple of days there to monitor. And I remember you saying that, um, uh, well, I remember sitting there looking at you thinking, geez, you know, you're wearing a helmet and that really saved your life. You know, even wearing the helmet, you got this fracture in your skull. You know, I, yeah. I could only, you know, don't want to really want to imagine what would it be like, you know, if you weren't wearing a helmet at the time. Um, and you were pretty um, debilitated for quite a long time. I know you stayed at um, our place for, I think it was a bit over a week and a half. So for the first kind of two weeks from your crash, um yeah how how was the pain management yeah i mean looking back at my life i can't think of any other time where i've been through more pain um but as well as physical pain there was also the mental side as well which is um definitely a huge part and physically it only took around three weeks for me to be back running again but it was definitely the longest three weeks of my life because Running is a big part of me and without it, time seems to go by really slow. And uh, it's important to know that, you know, the mental side took longer for me to recover. And even after like six months, I still look back and get scared sometimes about what, what I went through. Yeah, that's, you know, re really can't blame yourself for that. It, that's something really hard to go through. Speaking about like the mental part of going through that, you said how, you know, because running is such a big part um, of your life that that made a huge impact to not be able to be out there. 
So what was running like to you before the crash? You know, what were you, you know, were you training towards anything or how many days were you running? What was your mileage like? My mileage was around 50, 60 kilometers, nothing too crazy. And our entire group of friends were training for this relay event where every runner has to run three kilometers. And that was around four, three, four weeks after the crash. So we were all training um, for some speed. And that crash definitely, you know, took me out for like three weeks. So I had to race in not the best condition, I guess. But I did the best that I could. And we still managed to do pretty well coming first. And yeah. I think everyone called you a bit of an idiot for racing that like let a, within a month of your crash yeah i think i do remember getting a lot of people uh telling me not to run so i want to delve deeper into your experience um kind of that mental experience that you went through from you know going being a runner running you know probably five six maybe seven days a week to then you know having this two three week period of barely being able to be on your feet how was that? Yeah, like I said, the biggest thing was that time was going by so slow. Um, running did take up, you know, a, a significant portion of my day because if you factor in transport um, and then, you know, talking before the run and then, you know, hanging out after the run and then heading home, running does take up like four hours on some days, maybe even five. And if you do trail running like Jen, it could take up like 10 hours of your day. So um, I had a lot of, extra time and I didn't really know what to do with it and obviously since I couldn't walk there isn't much else I can do other than be on my laptop and try and catch up with friends and you know tell well update my parents on how I'm doing and stuff like that but yeah it was really hard I had a lot of things going on in my head and I all I wanted to do was run because I usually use running to clear my head and not having the ability to run was a bit tough yeah, and I think there's a lot of research, scientific research done about um, how mood states can be affected by running. Um, and I think, you know, it's no surprise that some of the findings is that um, for runners, for runners that continue running, a lot of the negative mood states, um, they experience a lower baseline of negative mood states. So, you know, most of the time they're not seeing these negative negative um, mood states affecting their brain. Um, and also um, these people, runners generally have a higher response of positive mood states um, to running. So when they run, basically they feel better. You know, they have positive um, mind states, but when, um, when runners are prevented from running, what you actually see is that they respond less to positive mood states. So, and also that their, their baseline of negative mood states is higher. So I think I went on a bit of a random disjointed kerfuffle there, but basically, you know, it's the idea that runners are generally in better moods. But when you now prevent those people that usually run, if you prevent them from running, what you notice is that those negative mood states start to creep up and their positive mood states start to decrease. And that's kind of not surprising in a sense. Um, and I'm sure most people like you 
have gone through that when you've, you know, injury or in your case, a kind of horrific accident. So yeah. would you, would you say that like running is a big part of your identity? Yeah. So this is something that I'm not too proud of. I think that my self-worth is too determined by my running. And I think that's not a good mental state to be in, but it's hard to find other avenues to, you know, create happiness for me because I just love running so much. And that's probably something that a lot of runners get into, which is not great when you have accidents like I did, or if you have an injury, which prevents you from running. Because, you know, if your confidence and, you know, mood state depends on your ability to run fast or your ability to run in general, you're going to struggle a lot when you can't run. And those times where you can't run are going to creep up. Like, there'll be times where you have to sacrifice running because you have work or a lot of exams coming up and stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, that's something I do want to change about myself, but have struggled for a few years. I actually want to delve a bit deeper into that. Um, what do you think... So you say that a huge part of your identity right now is running. Yep. And um, you, you also said how maybe some of the negative parts of that is that a lot of your self-worth... Um, you know, not all of it, but uh, a portion of it is taken by you being able to run. What would happen if you take kind of the running out of it, out of your life? What would then be your identity? Yeah. So w when you said that, that really scared me for a second. Because, you know, I just don't feel like I have anything else. I do have a few side hobbies, I guess, like photography and videography. But it's not something that's ever taken up a huge portion of my day or Maybe it has. Like videography does take a decent portion of my day, but I definitely enjoy running more. Videography is something that I want to work on as, you know, a skill to have in order to work in the future. Because I do want to use videography as one of my revenue streams in the future. And I think the psychology and the sports science is a field that I think not many people are aware of, but I think it's really important and um, reading some of these papers I, one that I have in front of me talks about motivation for running and eating attitudes in obligatory and non-obligatory runners uh, and it talks about how compulsive runners how their attitudes towards um, some of the you know some of the things uh, some of the running is quite similar to quite similar kind of their compulsive behavior is quite similar to what you'd see in people that have, what's the word, that some, some people that go through things like anorexia. Um, and, and I think that's, that's very important to think about is, you know, addiction to many things is bad. And I think a lot of people think addiction to running isn't that bad, but it is something that, you know, in several peer review papers have made parallels to things like anorexia. And going back to that idea of mood states, you know, physiologically uh, and psychologically, you know, there have been many scientific papers that have talked about how running increases like endorphins uh, or it releases endorphins uh, into your central nervous system. So, you know, that could be why it enhances your mood so much. And you hear about the runner's high. Have yeah. you ever got the runner's high, Sota? I feel like I 
have it's probably not i don't feel like it's super clear but you know i do have those few runs where i finish and i'm just out of the world my emotions are really positive and all that like especially after a good like 22 25 kilometer run i feel amazing so on, on a scale from um one to cocaine how addictive is the runner's high uh, <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i guess i have to say cocaine because <laughs> what i don't know what the in-between would be <laughs> I mean, I guess that, that, that highlights a severe yeah, case of uh, addiction, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it, it, it's really something that's kind of important. And I think for a lot of runners especially, you know, you see running being really positive, you know, having positive contributions to your lifestyle because you might see your mood is better, you know, lower levels of negative uh, mood states, you know, greater responses to positive mood states, also, you know, physical fitness. But when you take running away from them, you know, then you kind of have to sometimes ask, you know, what's left. Um, and I think, you know, you personally going through a lot of this, um, a huge kudos to you um, that you've gone through, you know, kind of a lot of hardship when it comes to running and that a lot of people don't really see. Now, I wanted to talk about what you do outside of running talked about some depressing issues but let's talk about more positive issues what do you do outside of running yeah so touched on it a bit earlier but i do some photography some videography um i do have a youtube channel with jin featuring in a few of my videos where i try to create fun videos to do with our run club but also some videos will be informative where i try to give some tips on how to become faster not that i am the fastest guy around but you know, I do have like five years of experience and in the past year, I've seen some significant improvements and not that running should be in a way that you improve a lot in a year because I like thinking of running as a long-term sport and it shouldn't be something where you're just chasing the time and you just suddenly improve. I think you talked about it a bit with Steven, I believe, but I do like giving tips on how to become faster at running and that's what I try to achieve through my videos. Yeah, I, I think what you said there of how you're integrating running into your lifestyle uh, rather than it kind of taking over, I think that was a pretty important point. Um, and I can see that you're, you know, trying very hard to balance, you know, the different things you do with your running. I wanted to talk about your, because you've also got an Instagram, right? Yes. And your photography page, do you want to plug them? Yeah. Give sure. you another chance at the end as well. Yeah, so my photography Instagram is currently at Sydney-based photographer without any spaces or capitals. And my main Instagram is Sota Mahara, just no caps, no spaces, no punctuation anywhere. <laughs> yeah, and then um, what else? What other socials did you say you have? You have your photography. Yeah. That's, 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 recently, my... that's recently started up. Yeah, so I started a Facebook page also called Sydney-based photographer. Hopefully, it's a searchable name that people come across. And hopefully, I'll get a few gigs in the future for some side cash, I guess. And my YouTube is just Sota Space Mahara. You'll find a ton of running videos there, probably over 800. <laughs> Quick question. Which yeah. one is your favorite video? Right now, it would have to be the attempting to break 15 
in the 5k done by steven and yeah that was just really good vibes we got like probably like 18 guys out there supporting steven whether it's through pacing being on the sidelines shouting at him encouraging him or bike pacing some of the guys helped out with filming which is amazing and we had such a good day out there and it showed that running isn't an individual sport and it's you know there's a bit of teamwork involved in helping people improving stuff like that so i feel like that video encapsulates the beauty of running perfectly and if you have the time i recommend you check it out yeah seeing that video kind of seeing how you guys have cultivated this positive attitude um within your like small community of runners is quite you know really nice to see um and for those of you who've listened to my first episode, you'll know we're talking about the, the Stephen Chung um, that joined me as a guest and uh, his breaking 15 attempt that we talked about. And also his friend, Brandon Hancock, will be the, if, you've, if you're going to watch the video, it's the guy cycling at the start. So yep. you can check that out. All right, quick fire question, Sota. Trail or road? Road. Trail. Wrong answer. Okay. <laughs> Favorite brand of running shoes? Nike. Favorite pair of running shoes? Ooh, Epic React. All right. What's been your favorite race? Very tough. I've actually done so many. Um, just going to go with Bankstown 5K. What is track. your, okay, what's your dream race? It's the Laguna Phuket Triathlon. It's actually not a running race. It's a triathlon race. All right. Last one of the quick fire round, which is, I've lost it now. It's no longer a quick fire uh, round. Oh, what was my question going to be? Oh, yes. This is a good one. So you're the v, uh, the vice president of UCID Run Club. Yes. So UCID Run Club or UNSW Campus Runners? Oh, I'm going to take a while to decide. I'm going to go with the controversial option and say UNSW Run Club. You've heard it here, guys. He's relinquished his um, powers as the vice president of UCID Run Club. <laughs> Let's talk more about UCID Run Club. Um, I mean, I've been part of the club for quite a few years now and I've really enjoyed my experience with them. Um, and I think that the community there is absolutely amazing. Um, and I know COVID has hit everyone and it's been, you know, pretty terrible all around. Um, but UCID Run Club has still been quite involved with, you know, its running community and, and it keeps fostering that positive attitude. So what have, what have you guys done at UCID Run Club throughout this period? So during the really strict lockdown phase where we could only run with like one other person outdoors, we didn't do too much on the running side, understandably, because you can't really organize a public event where when you can only run with one other person. So uh, I personally didn't do too much during that time, but... You know, people like Jin and Sam and Chris, hope I'm not forgetting anyone, but yeah, a few of the other guys hosted some Zoom sessions, whether it was core, upper body strength, lower body strength, that like you can do at home. And we just played YouTube videos, shared the screen, and then everyone could follow along. And I think so you, that- So you were running that like five days a week? Yeah. Five, six days a week at most times. Yeah. And I think that was a good way to keep people- you know, still involved with the club to some degree, even though it's online and, you know, not the most ideal thing to be doing. But yeah, I think it was a great initiative by 
you know, the guys who did it, Jin, Sam, Chris, again, I respect their dedication. Yeah, so, and, and I've seen you've done plenty more as well. What do you, I, I know the situation's evolving quite a, quite a lot, but um, maybe talk about some of the activities you've been running in the last, well, this week. Yeah, so now that COVID restrictions have been lifted slightly, okay, let's go through the timeline properly. So we were talking about that strict time period where we were doing Zoom online workouts. And then there was that time where COVID started, you know, going away a bit. Uh, and it was looking really promising in our state. And that's when the restrictions lifted to 20 people per exercise group. And that's when I started being really involved by making more running events. And one of the events that we're actually doing this week is a beginner-friendly run slash walk where we're only doing six kilometers of distance and we're going to accommodate any pace from six minutes per kilometer to just walking the whole thing. And it's going to be, you know, obviously aimed towards beginners who want to come for the social aspect, but also maybe even learn a thing or two about running from the people that are going to help run the event. So we do, as a club, want to cater towards all levels of runners. And I really love organizing stuff where many different abilities can come together and still get along and have a good time. Yeah, and I think that, uh, that weekend run sounds really good. Um, perfect for, you know, creating or giving a safe space for those kind of newer beginner runners. But you also run intervals sessions. Yep. And you've been doing that for quite a few weeks. Um, how, how has that been from, you know, a coaching perspective? And also from as an um, executive, the vice president of the run club. Before COVID, our most popular run was the Wednesday social run. And that was just a bunch of runners coming together and then splitting into a short, medium and long distance group where it was just a casual run. But after COVID, our interval sessions started getting really popular for some reason. And that's kind of nice to see because it's easier to organize from an executive standpoint because all the runners are simply running around in circles around a 400, 500 meter oval. And that allows for all levels of runners to run together and not get dropped and lost and, you know, anything wrong that could happen in a run. So the coach, the coaches of Run Club, including myself, could also monitor everyone easier, I guess, and give feedback on how they're doing and stuff like that. So I think it's great that the interwalk sessions have become more popular in recent times. Yeah, I think it's really good, you know, how you guys as coaches and executives are really fostering that positive attitude um, and that kind of fun but also friendly competition within that group. Uh, and I know uh, Run Club has also been involved in running a couple of events. You guys ran, you know, a backyard fun run, which was an ultra marathon event. Uh, and you even did bro gaining as well. And I know that weekly runs you do uh, a ba bagels is what you call it throughout the, through the city. So I think yeah. it's really cool how, you know, you're really doing that thing where you're catering to all different types of runners, you know, from your beginner runs to ultra marathons and even interval sessions. I think that's really great. Now, as a, you know, as a coach of Run Club, um, but also as a student, I know you study a lot of, a lot about sports. You know, yeah. what, what degree are you studying at the moment? 
So I'm studying exercise and sports science. I'm in third year right now. So that, that kind of makes you a little bit qualified. I Not guess. completely, but a little bit qualified to talk about a few few things maybe you've learned from some of your classes. Um, or what have been your kind of your favorite learnings? I guess my favorite thing I've learned is about tapering and the physiological adaptations that happen to your body. Because as a person that really enjoys racing frequently, which we unfortunately can't do now because of COVID, but it's really interesting to me how the body responds to taper and also responds to training and how it changes. So the interesting thing is that there's different adaptations that occur to your body in the cardiovascular system, the musculoskeletal system, the metabolic system. They adapt in different time frames. So you brought up some uh, pretty complex terms like cardiovascular, musculoskeletal, metabolic. Do you want to maybe unpack those a little bit? What do you mean when we talk about that? Yeah, so the cardiovascular system is referring to the heart and the pretty much the blood flow that goes around your body. So uh, cardiovascular adaptations to exercise would be stuff like the heart increasing in volume and therefore being able to pump more blood with each beat, meaning more blood can travel around the body and deliver oxygen and also remove carbon dioxide from the body through the lungs. So that's a cardiovascular adaptation to exercise. Uh, musculoskeletal adaptations would be changes in fiber types. So there's these things called slow twitch and fast twitch muscle fibers, but there is this intermediate fiber where you get more of with training in general. And that's what benefits endurance runners because you need that sweet spot fiber, I guess, to put it in simple terms. And then we talked about, uh, you mentioned metabolic as well. Yeah. Well, what, 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 is me- what do you mean by metabolic to, I guess, someone that's not well-versed in physiology? Metabolic is pretty much the building and breaking down of different compounds in the body. So do you mean like fuels? Okay. And and you also said how um, these things, um, how these things are all important in tapering. Yeah. Um, And the reason why we taper is um, because we need to kind of recover in the sense, recover um, from cardiovascular work, uh, metabolic and musculoskeletal. Um, Lost my train of thought. I can talk a bit about tapering. Yeah, talk, talk more about tapering. Yeah, so with tapering, the purpose of it is to obviously prime your body to perform at its best for a race day. And this is where what I was talking about earlier comes in, where there's different adaptation time periods. So the cardiovascular system recovers from training a lot quicker than the musculoskeletal system. Because if you imagine running up a really steep hill and being out of breath, and, and then running back down. The next day, you're not going to be still breathing hard from that hill, but you are going to feel some soreness in your muscle, um, in the legs the next day. So taking that concept to tapering, what the most important thing to do is, is to rest your muscles enough so that they can perform at its best. But it's important to not rest completely and You just want to run less when you're tapering, but keep up the intensity. So in taper week, if I were to have a race on Sunday, I would do my last workout on Tuesday 
and this will be a speed session where I'm just focusing on really low mileage. So we're talking 200, 400s at the same intensity that I would usually do them in, except I would do less of it. So if my usual workout is like, you know, 12 by 400, I would do six by 400, let's say. It's all about not doing as much volume, but keeping up the same intensity. Because if you drop down the intensity as well, your legs are going to forget the motion of running and it just gets hard on race day. And this has been a study that's been done by a few universities, which we looked at some cases in our lectures in uni. And that was really interesting as a runner. I think um, tapering is definitely something that's, you know, I would say undervalued in the running community. Uh, especially, you know, talking earlier, we talked about people that are a bit, I would say almost, you know, almost kind of on that range of addicted to running, you know, I'm not saying that runners don't taper. I'm just, I think as a personal opinion, nothing scientific here, personal opinion, I think a lot of runners undervalue um, tapering Um, and reading a lot of the literature. um, I think it's important to note that everyone's body is, different and how they respond to different stresses are different and so it's very hard to put a blanket statement about this is what you need to do in your taper or how much you should taper but a lot of the studies um, that have um, in the literature has kind of consistently found that people that taper for roughly a two-week period see an increase in performance between two and eight percent um, and as a rough guide, that has been pretty consistent um, in the literature. And I think that kind of talks about, I think that, you know, really highlights the need to rest and recover um, before your races. One, one very interesting paper that I looked at kind of did mention exactly what you said in terms of how cardiovascular, neuromuscular, um, and metabolic um, processes weren't. Um, weren't really affected too much through a two week taper. Um, and it was more, a lot more of like musculoskeletal system that had, that had a greater response to tapering. Now, since you've kind of preached to us what a taper is and how important it is, I do want to ask you about what your taper strategy was um, when you ran those three 5k time trials in a row within, I think the same two week period. I I get a lot of shade and crap and heat and fire and whatever you want to call it for doing too many time trials. And one of the reasons why I do a lot of time trials is because they get a lot of views on YouTube. And, <laughs> and yeah, it, I just try and put it in during my training block. I don't really taper for time trials. I mainly taper for races. So in the quick fire question earlier, I said that my favorite race was the Bankstown 5K. And I definitely did taper for that. So I went from a 93 kilometer week to a 53 kilometer week leading up to the race, which felt good on my legs because I came off of doing, I think it was like four weeks, four to five weeks in a row of more than 85 kilometers a week. And then I had one rest week and then I did that 93K week and then I tapered. So the 53k week really helped my muscles feel better for the race but it was unfortunate that um on race day it was like really rainy and i didn't really get the time that i wanted but 
you know, I'm sure the taper did help to some degree. All right, talking about races, and now I want to touch on your future. What should we expect uh, from the sh- future, Sota Maihara? What is coming up, I guess, in your near future? Um, and maybe some of your long-term goals. Yeah, so near future, there's a chance that I might do another random time trial, um, which was decided last minute, I think today, where my friend Tom will be doing a three-kilometer time trial, aiming to go as close to nine minutes as possible or maybe even breaking it. And I'd like to help out by pacing or running the whole thing if I feel like it. And I want to try and be responsible and not run the whole thing because I do want to do a 10-kilometer time trial in early September. And that's something that I'm more focused on right now with my training, doing some longer interval workouts. So, yeah, hopefully I'll train up for that and get a good time because my current PR for that is 35.57, which is very outdated. And in the long term, I just want to keep shipping away at my PRs hopefully break 15 and 30 in the 10K. So 15 in the 5K, 30 in the 10K. That will require a lot of training, but I want to document as much of the training as possible through my YouTube. So again, make sure you subscribe and follow my journey. Are we going to, should we expect to see any um, trail ultramarathons sometime in the distant or maybe not so distant future? Ultramarathoning would definitely be in the distant, distant future. So we're talking when I'm 40, 50, retiring with my, you know, million dollars or millions of dollars from YouTube. I think that that is a bit, um, I don't agree with that goal. (laughs) So before I let you go, Sota, um, do you want to plug your uh, socials again so people can, you know, know where to find you? Yeah, so my Instagram is Sotamahara, no caps. My YouTube is just Sota Mahara, my full name. My Facebook photography page is Sydney-based photographer. And yeah, that's about it. All right. I think I got to thank you for joining me uh, today. I think we talked, um, we touched quite deeply on a lot of your experiences coming from um, transitioning from your earlier days in high school in Thailand to how that kind of group dynamic Uh, and network really affected your motivation in training and then we touched on some deeper issues of your crash and talked about identity motivation and how kind of sports psychology is something that's something that's something that's you know a bit undervalued in the field at the moment Um, and then we got to talk about some of your some things that you like a bit more you know with your sports science some of the more physiological parts of the body but thanks everyone for joining us. And if you did enjoy the podcast, I would love to have some feedback so I could continually improve and maybe even get um, more people. Thanks everyone. Thanks.